The reading today is from Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintika to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Freddy. Uh, we're coming to um, the end of this series. Uh, one more uh, from Philippians, chap- uh, Philippians uh, left. Uh, but if you can uh, have your Bibles open and let's go through it um, together. Uh, but let's, as we go through it, let's uh, pray that God will make these His words. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning, as we come to this text, as we come to what it means to rejoice always in the Lord, um, in you, Lord, we pray that you will give us that sense of bubbling joy um, that will uh, take over our sorrows and our sufferings and our pain. And Lord, we pray that joy uh, will be what uh, overwhelms us, um, not just today, but for the rest of our lives as we walk with you. We pray that you'll speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've come across lists like this. There are thousands of them on the internet. Uh, Top 10 uh, uh, things that you could do to make yourself a little bit happy or something like that. This is uh, one from lifehack.org. 10 scientifically proven ways to stay happy all the time. So I'll give you just uh, the top five. five. One, exercise more. Two, think positively. Number three, uh, trash your negative thoughts, which I'm not sure how different it is from number two. But uh, number four, treasure your experiences over material things. Number five, write down um, why you are grateful. And the list uh, goes on. And there are many lists like this uh, that gives you sort of tips on how to be happy. In fact, in TED Talks, um, the modern day sort of church for uh, secular people, there's 76 talks on how to be happy, 76. And they give you, most of them give you, sort of digestible, easy to apply uh, steps like exercise more and think positively, meditate, uh, that sort of thing. And you could say, in a way, that letter to the Philippians was about sort of this topic, 
how to be joyful, how to be, uh, how to live a joyful life. And we've seen Paul's joy throughout the letter in chapter one. We've seen how he rejoices sitting in the prison cell. In chapter three, if you look back in chapter three, verse one, he says, rejoice in the Lord. That joy comes up. And here again in chapter four, in our chapter, in our reading, chapter four, uh, verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. But Paul didn't give 10 easy steps, the things that you could do to make, uh, to, 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 to be more joyful. Because Christianity isn't about having 10 easy steps. Rather, it's actually about the big things, the big questions in life, right? Uh, who we are, where we've come from, what our problems are, where, uh, what God is, has done in the past, what God is doing now, and what God will do in the future. So rather than giving small and manageable tips, little things that you could do to be happier, well, Paul has reminded you of what God has done in Christ. It's stand firm in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. What he has done in the Lord is what, uh, uh, what he's given us. And he's answered questions like, who are we? Well, in chapter 1, he told us that we are a family in Christ. We are the fellowship of the gospel, the, the people who make Christ known around the world. What makes our wor lives worth living? Uh, well, it makes, it, to know Christ, uh, to know the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord, to, uh, to tell others about it, to enjoy the relationship now with him. How do we do this? He told us that we are to be united with him, that you are to be, we are to be united with, with him in his death and also then in, our res, in his resurrection. Where are we going? He told us last week that our citizenship is in heaven, that we will live there when God will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Here's the thing. You can't stand firm in life you can't rejoice always without having these questions answered. You can't. Uh, when you're asking why you exist, going out for a run probably doesn't help that much. When your loved one has just passed away, positive thinking isn't going to cut it. You see, this isn't this joy that he's talking about. Isn't the kind of joy um, something that you can uh, get from lifehack.org? Uh, life it comes from knowing that our destiny has been changed, from knowing that God, has, who has made the heavens and the earth, became a human being, emptied himself, became a human being, and crucified on my behalf died for us, knowing that his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is mine through faith alone, that we don't have to do anything, that we are now then close to God, the Father, as Jesus is close to him, that we are always near him, that Lord is near us, that our identity has been changed from sinner to a daughter, to a son, that the earth isn't our home, ultimate home. Earth as it is in, isn't our home. That earth will be transformed. That there will be a kingdom that awaits us where there's no sin or no death, no suffering. That that is our destiny. That is where we're going. You see, once we know these things, we can rejoice always. We can stand firm no matter what the world is throwing at us. And that's why Paul told you about all these things in chapters 1 through 3. And look how he starts our chapter in verse 4, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1. He starts with a therefore. 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord always in this way, dear friends. And in a way, uh, verse 4 is saying similar thing, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. No matter what is going on in this world, you can stand firm when you have these big things in place. These are truths that you can stand on. These are truths where you can continue to draw joy and strength from, from uh, for the rest of your lives. You can stand firm. You can rejoice if you know what it means to be in the Lord. If you know the big picture, I, I think of people like this. My friend told me about this couple who had such a, a, a big impact on uh, her walk uh, with God in her university days. There was a young couple in there. It was a, a young couple in their 30s. At the time, as the time progressed in their marriage, they thought about having kids. Uh, but to no avail, they went to the doctor and found out that the wife actually isn't able to have kids. So they prayed and they lived their lives. But one day, actually, after five years, a miracle happened. The wife became pregnant. And nine months later, she gave birth to a beautiful child. And they rejoiced and the church rejoiced. But in a month, it's, uh, uh, Barney just turned a month. I can't imagine. In a month, a baby dies. The church was devastated by the news. And the baby who brought so much joy to the whole church now grieved the church. And the couple was undoubtedly sad, but this is what made this impact on her life, my friend's life. This couple then stood up in front of the church and said, like Job, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Friends, that's not positive thinking. That's not a runner's high. That is standing firm. That is drawing strength and joy from God, from knowing that they're loved by God, even though they don't understand everything that God is doing, everything that uh, is happening, that they are loved by God, that God has loved this child just as he has loved them, that died for them. That it's beyond their understanding. It's knowing that the kingdom is coming and counting on that kingdom where they will see that child again, where they will rejoice and all the suffering will be reversed. There there's no more pain and suffering. The wrongs will be made right. That's what they're doing. Having the big picture and going, I will rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what happens in my life. Friends, where do you go when difficulties of life hit? Do you go to these big truths of the Lord, of being in the Lord? Can you stand firm in the Lord? and rejoice in the truth of the gospel. But as we heard last week, this joy doesn't come automatically. It actually, uh, it's there for us to, to have. It's, it's a reality, a status that God has given us, but we're told to press on, right? Chapter 3, verse 12, to press on, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This is an unmistakably athletic image, imagery, right? Getting us to think about how hard it is. Um, you know how like my, all my sermon illustrations were about Mary and my marriage? Now it's all going to be about children and, <laughs> and have, raising a child. It reminds me of uh, what the doctor said when we were in the delivery room. In the final stage of uh, uh, Mary's delivery, Barney's delivery, uh, this doctor came in. 
And as she was putting the gloves on, um, she asked Mary, do you play any sports? It's kind of an odd question. But I think what she's asking Mary was, are you ready? Because this is going to be hard work. This is going to be hard work. Do you play any sports? It's like that. Most of us would rather not press on because it's hard work. Joy is ours to have through Christ, but we still need to work on, that making, work on making that a reality now, today, in our lives. And just as there are not proven ways to deliver a baby, there are proven ways uh, of grasping this, uh, uh, this grace, uh, means of, of grace, God-ordained ways to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has t- uh, took hold of us. We call these spiritual disciplines. We call this uh, a means of grace. And the first is in verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Prayer is key to many things. Uh, and Paul tells us that prayer is the key to uh, uh, having that joy. And it sounds so basic, and everybody sort of knows it. You might have missed how strange, actually, this is. Because Paul doesn't say, isn't it strange that Paul doesn't say, don't worry and pray because God will answer your prayers and you will be joyful. But that's not what he says. In fact, whether God will answer your prayers or not isn't mentioned here at all. Actually, if you look carefully, he's not just asking us to pray, but he's asking us to pray in a specific way. He says, pray with thanksgiving. And isn't that strange? Why should you thank God when he hasn't answered your prayers yet? This is how we often think, that we pray to change God's mind. And if God, we get what we, uh, what we want, we praise him, we, get, we go ecstatic. And when we don't get what we want, we go, where is God? Why isn't God listening to my prayers? But Paul's not praying. Paul's prayer isn't pleading to change God's, God's mind. Paul's prayer is an expression of his trust in God's goodness. Because we can only pray with thanksgiving if we only trust that God knows what he's doing, that God is good to us, that God will give us what is best for us, that he loves us, that he's working out good in and through all of, all of these things. And this is why you can't pray in this way and worry at the same time. You can't do it. Because praying is a way of trusting God, laying down our anxieties and our worries and say, actually, you know, you know what is best for me. So as he prays, he prays, you can pray with thanksgiving in all circumstances. It's praying knowing that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with, all, uh, along with him, graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 He's given us all his, his son. And it's coming to the realization, actually, he will not spare anything that is good for us. So we pray with thanksgiving. How do you pray? Do you give thanks to God as you pray? Do you pray trusting in God's goodness? Because that's a, a, the, the first, the, the, the key of, 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 of receiving that joy. And the second means of grace is in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Just think about the blessings that you've received. Think about all the good things that God has given you. And what a great list it is, right? These words, true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Some of you have been going through a lot. Uh, we have a church family member who was just diagnosed with cancer last week and all sorts of things. No matter what you're going through, though, if you take a step back and simply go through all the noble and good and excellent, praiseworthy, uh, pure, uh, the, the right and true thing around us, you'll see, actually, it is all around us. This past week, I was so thankful uh, for warm showers. <laughs> I didn't want to get out of warm showers. I'm thankful for my mother-in-law, who's, uh, I, I, I feel alert today because I was able to sleep because of her. And you might have appreciated a good cup of tea or a good book and God's blessings all around us. And if you think, just to think, that we don't deserve these things. You don't deserve them. You might not like the bluntness of uh, Tim Chester. I've quoted it uh, once before. Uh, um, The the book, Ordinary Hero, is uh, uh, on sale on our uh, bookshelf. He says this. He put it this way, how we don't deserve uh, these things. He says, here is what we have a right to. Hell. Anything else is a bonus. He says, so accept health and partial health. Prosperity and making do work and social benefits, holidays and days at home as good, gracious, undeserved gifts from God. Enjoy them. Don't moan about what you haven't got. Enjoy all that God has given you because you don't deserve it. You deserve hell. Life on earth is a bonus. Life in the new earth will be heaven. We don't deserve these things, but God is gracious to us and he's showered us with all these gifts that we don't deserve. So think about these things. In fact, but we do have a model here, don't we? Uh, Paul has modeled thinking about the blessings that he's received throughout this letter. Remember what made him rejoice back in chapter 1. He rejoiced that the palace guards heard the gospel because he was in prison. He rejoiced because uh, people who are envious of him is preaching the gospel out of envy, that the gospel is being advanced. He was thinking about these things. In the prison cell, he was going, I rejoice. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said, he told us to rejoice again. But then he gives us a reason why he rejoices. Right? He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own uh, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. What became a spring, a wellspring of joy for him is Christ's righteousness. How Jesus died for him so that he could have this relationship with God freely, that his future is secured because of what Christ has done, that he's loved beyond imagination. That became that source of joy. This was the most excellent way. This is the the most excellent thing, praiseworthy thing that he could go back to and be joyful. If that made him joyful in a prison cell, we could draw joy from that, knowing that, couldn't we? Where does your mind go when bad things happen to you? Do you think about the blessings you've received? 
whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Do you think about these all, all, all undeserved blessings? Do you think about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? Finally, Paul says in order to receive this joy, you have to take the last step. Verse 9. It says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put them into practice. Act. Put it into practice. Uh, after about a year into our marriage, Mary brought out a whole stack of cards um, to the dining room table, and I immediately knew what they were. They were thank you cards um, that I wrote after our wedding, uh, but never sent. Many of them, I wrote them, many of them even had stamps on them, and I'm sorry if you haven't gotten uh, these thank you cards from me. Um, for some reason, I wrote them, but I just never sent them. And if you ask me, why did you not send them, um, I can't explain. <laughs> I know there's a psychiatrist here, maybe you can have uh, an explanation uh, for this. Well, in the end, those people uh, were never thanked. I meant to, but they were, it never became a reality. Now, our Christian life should not be like that. <laughs> what we've learned and received from the scripture, from what we've seen in Paul and Timothy, Epaphroditus, and, uh, what we've seen uh, from our Christian friends here uh, in this church, from Carmen and Rachel and Ida, and we can put them into practice. We should act. Uh, and we should put them into practice because that's what will make this joy true for us when we act. That's how joy becomes real in the doing and in putting these things into practice. As we pray with thanksgiving, as we think about all the blessings that God has given us through, uh, and, and as we think about Christ's righteousness that has been uh, freely been given, as we put all these other things that we've learned in the scripture, as we put them into practice, this will become real for us. And this is what God has then promised for us. Uh, take a look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What a great deal. You give your anxieties and you give your worries and God gives you peace that surpasses all understanding. Uh, you get supernatural peace in the midst of all the turbulence of life. We were promised peace that words and logic and circumstances cannot explain. It's incomprehensible. It's beyond us. It's peace that transcends understanding. And it won't come just for a fleeting moment and disappear. Take a look at the words in verse 7. It's military language. That peace will guard our hearts and minds. This peace will protect us from attacks as our hearts and minds are besieged with the world, by, our, by, by the world and all that's going on, by our sin and, and their consequences. By the evil one, our hearts and minds will be guarded. Uh, it's literally garrisoned, protected in Christ Jesus. And it makes sense. If you look at verse 9, where the source of that peace is. And verse 7 says, peace of God will come. But then verse 9 says, and the God of peace will be with you. 
What's promised is no less than God's presence in your heart and in your mind. Sometimes when we go through tough times, God does seem far away. Here's the thing. Remind yourself of the big truths. Truth of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Who you are, what God has done, where you're going. And pray. Pray with thanksgiving. Think about the blessings. Think about the blessings in Christ. And press on and put to practice what you've learned through all of these. And as we press on, we'll realize that God of peace is in our midst. We'll realize that he's been guarding our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. We'll realize that the Lord is near, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let me end with this story. I've told once before in Shatin Church, um, but it's, it's a good story, so it's, uh, it's, it's worth hearing again. Uh, it's the story of a missionary in 1851, an English missionary named Alan Gardner, who went uh, on a ship to go to South America, Sam's missionary. He was, on, he was supposed to open up a new mission field um, there. Instead, his ship was wrecked on some island off uh, the coast of South America. He and all the crew died on that island eventually, um, although they lived quite uh, a while before they died. Uh, they all died a painful, terrible death waiting for food. There was no food on the island, and they died of hunger and thirst. So everything went wrong for him. He never made it to his mission field. He died far away from his family. I'm sure he prayed, rescue me, but that rescue never came. And later his body was found and they found a journal with him. And the last thing that he wrote in his journal was Psalm 34.10. Young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack anything good. They that seek the Lord shall not lack anything good. And the very last line he wrote uh, that, uh, under um, that line was, um, I, he wrote, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. Friends, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let's pray.